Excuse me, just a second. It's the weather or the masks. <laughs> sure, you can all identify. Let's pray. All praise to you, Lord. All praise to you for who you are, for what you do, for your love for us, your willingness to trust us with your church. Bless us today as we reflect on your word, as we continue our series on James. May it bear much fruit to your glory and serve to grow your kingdom in this place. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is number six in our series. I'll finish next week. I'll be a bit sad when we finish this, really. I've really enjoyed preparing this series, and I think it's been great for us to get back to us talking to Mark and uh, Tara before. I think James is a bit like Christianity 101, in a sense. It's right back to the basics, because it's so early. And James was quite probably the first New Testament book that we have that was written. And so it's really earthy and real and dealing with the struggles that the early church had as they were working out who they were, sorry, who they were and what it was going to be, what it was going to mean to be the body of Christ in their community. Well, we've heard the term, the best laid plans of mice and men. And I have to share this with you because it's so cute. Thanks, Michael. Two on Tavern Hill in a Nest with the Fire, November 1785. We seek a cure in timorous beastie. All oh, our panics in my beastie. Then we must start a worsey hasty with bicker and brattle. I would be late to run and chase the matter and battle. I'm truly sorry man's dominion has broken nature's social union and justifies that ill opinion which makes thee startle at me, thy poor earth-born companion and fellow mortal. I do no wells, but thou won't thieve. What then? Poor beastie, thou won't leave. A demon icker in a thrave's a small request. I'll get a blessing with a lame and never miss it. Thy wee bit hoosie too in ruin. Its silly wars the winds are strewn. And Nathan knew to big a new end of foggy dream. And bleak December's winds ensuing bathed smell and keen. Thou saw the fields laid bare and waste, and weary winter coming fast. And cosy here beneath the blast thou thought to dwell. Till crash the cruel coulter passed out through thy cell. That wee bit heap of leaves and stubble has cost thee money a weary nibble. Now thou's turned out for all thy trouble, but whoso hold to thole the winter's sleety dribble, and Cranroch called. But Moosey, thou art no thy lane in proving foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes o' mice and men gang after glee, and lee is not but grief and pain for promised joy. Still, thou art blessed compared with me, 
the present only toucheth thee, but och, I backward cast my knee on prospects drear, and forward, though I cannot see, I guess and fear. Now, I probably need to translate half of that. <laughs> Not only the accent, but the old English. It's, isn't it interesting how the English language has changed so much in those years? The best laid schemes of mice and men often go awry, is what he was saying. <laughs> Thou art blessed compared with me, the present only toucheth thee. But oh, I backward cast my eye on prospects drear, and forward, though I cannot see, I guess and fear. How true. We as human beings spend so much time and energy bemoaning the past or dreading the future. And we do that at the expense of the joy and the importance of present moment. And I think COVID has really taught us that, that uh, looking back on the pre-COVID days and, oh, can't we go back to that? Or looking forward to the new normal, I'm so sick of that term, but missing what God is doing in the present. Hopefully we've spent a bit more time doing that. Our next slide, thanks, Marco. John Steinbeck wrote a moving and poignant book. I did this in year 11 for literature. And the movie was made later, and the movie was called Of Mice and Men, so it was the book. And Steinbeck pointed out, picking up this, this um, line from um, Robert Burns' poem, he pick, he's picking out the fragility and the impermanence of what we like to call home and the harshness of life for some people in our world. It's quite a sad story of Mice and Men. It's a good book, but it's a very sad story. Thanks, Marco. Remember this? We had such hope. <laughs> I was so proud of this vision. <laughs> 2020 vision. I mean, you know, you wait your whole life. It's only ever going to come around once. 2020 vision. How better can you get than that? And look what happened. So much hope and anticipation went into these plans. And we had a map development subcommittee and we were working really hard. They came up with a strategic plan to support our mission and further our vision. And then <laughs> we had a major conflict and a split. And then, as if that wasn't enough, COVID hit. That's nearly two years ago. It was this time two years ago when I launched this vision. <laughs> All our plans went out the window, or at least were on hold. And again this year, 2020, the year of lockdown blew out into 2021. We were all waiting for the new year, get out of COVID, new start, and we've had another year. <laughs> Not a lot dissimilar to last year. Sure. On again, <laughs> off again. In person, on Zoom, shops open, shops closed, schools open, schools closed, and that's still happening. And so it goes on. The best laid plans of mice and vicars, is what I say. <laughs> Thanks, Marco. So how do you make God laugh? You're telling your plans. <laughs> it might be easy to come to the conclusion that God doesn't actually like plans, but I'm sure that that's not true. And James helps to throw some light on this for us today again. And he's speaking in particular in this passage to those who are wealthy. 
So then is God against making money or developing a business? No. What God is opposed to is arrogance. And this was the problem at hand. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. Well, the situation that James is speaking into was one where those with wealth and therefore power were shamelessly boasting as if they were entirely self-sufficient and God just didn't fit into their grand schemes and plans, their own hopes and dreams. And they openly flaunted their control over the future. But at the same time, they were quite content to ignore the needs of others, especially the poor, in a society that did not have a social welfare system. Remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the five wealthiest Australians and their backstories, just very briefly. Very similar. Remember the words I read out last week of the song, My Way. It's the same theme running through, isn't it? And James calls out their arrogance in four ways today. He calls out their arrogant, their ignorance, sorry, of the fragility of life. And I love the way Robert Burns picks that up in that beautiful poem. Their ignorance of the fragility of life. Their arrogant sense of independence from God. Their hubris in regard to self-advancement and their willful neglect of others, especially those in need. Those four things he picks up. So let's just pause here for a moment. Do you remember me speaking right back at the beginning of this series about the balance knob on Mum and Dad's old stereogram? Well, let's just take a moment to check where our balance knob is as we approach this passage. We can very quickly point the finger at those people and lose sight of the fact that in contrast to most of the world, we are incredibly wealthy. We can sit back smugly and point to the big five and go, (laughs) make judgments about their lifestyle choices and their attitudes. Where's the balance now? In the time when James wrote this letter, there were slaves. Slaves. Commonplace. Women were listed amongst a man's belongings. Tribalism was rife. Jew, Gentile, Roman, Greek. Wealth was power. Poverty was just a given. And as we look at our society, especially as we're starting to emerge and to begin to work out what a post-COVID world is going to look like, if you have a home, if you never have to go without a meal, if you have a warm coat for winter and more than one set of clothes, if you have the ability to be vaccinated regardless of your stance on that, if you have access to doctors and medical care, if you have some source of steady income, if you own a car or some alternative, if you have access to education, 
if you can gather to worship freely, whatever that might look like, if you do not have bombs being dropped on your town, if you do not live with the constant fear of being mugged or robbed or shot or stabbed when you venture outside your front door, you are among the wealthiest in the world. So let's just listen to what James might say to us today. And please note here that I'm not playing fast and loose with some of the genuine struggles that people have been facing. I'm certainly not downplaying the isolation and the cost of lockdown, the pain of distance from loved ones, or the missed opportunities for sharing life milestones, welcomes, farewells, and celebrations. I'm not talking here about those who have lost jobs, income, health, or a sense of security. I'm not talking about those who are unable to plan. These struggles are very real and they deserve our grief and our lament. But I want to focus here more on the attitudes we bring to life generally. James is offering us not just warnings, but a better wisdom to utilise in our planning. The mindset we bring to our choices and to our decision-making. Thanks, Marco. This was a good movie. Any of you see it? Look at this. One of them was dying, and they decided to go around the world and to tick things off their bucket list. They obviously have lots of money. They saw different places and they had different experiences. There was lots of fun and some unexpected twists and turns and learnings along the way. But one thing struck me about this movie. God didn't get a mention. Thanks, Micro. What's on your bucket list? Where does God feature on your bucket list? To some extent, this is the same issue that James is addressing in today's reading. When we start to dream, plan, scheme or map out a course or decide to what we are going to give our time, our energy, our money and our focus or to whom, where does God fit in? The truth is, our bucket list is our life list. What matters most to me? And the question remains, what are the deeper beliefs and values driving my choices? To what and to whom are our deepest allegiances? Thanks, Marco. I want to share two stories today from Max Licardo, who's a Christian writer. Um, it was a boy in the story. I changed it to a girl because I found this cute picture. Plus, I needed some balance, really, I thought. <laughs> so we've got a little girl making a sandcastle on the beach. And this is how he tells it. A little girl is on the beach. She packs the sand with plastic spades into a bright red bucket. 
Then she upends the bucket and a sand castle is created. Thanks, Marco. A man is in his office. He shoves papers into stacks and delegates assignments. And this could be the other way around, by the way. <laughs> but this was the best picture I could find. <laughs> Numbers are juggled, contracts are signed, and a profit is made. Two builders, two castles. They see nothing and make something. And for both, the tide will rise and the end will come. But that's where the similarities cease. For the girl sees the end while the man ignores it. Watch the girl as dusk approaches. As the waves near the wise child begins to clap. There is no sorrow, no fear, no regret. She knew this would happen, she's not surprised. And when the great wave finally crashes upon her castle and her masterpiece is sucked into the sea, she smiles, she picks up her tools, she takes her father's hand and goes home. The grown-up, however, is not so wise. As the wave of years collapses on his castle, he is terrified. He hovers over the sandy monument he protected. He blocks the waves from the walls he has made. Salt water soaked and shivering, he scowls at the incoming tide. It's my castle, he defies. The ocean need not respond. Both know to whom the sand belongs. And I don't know much about sand castles, but children do. Watch them and learn. Go ahead and build, but build with a child's heart. When the sun sets and the tides take, applaud. Salute the process of life. Then take your father's hand and go home. A friend of mine once said, we all have visions to shape granules into grandeurs. I love that saying. And so often we seek to build castles and to claim them as our own, don't we? And in so doing, James remind us, reminds us we become double-minded and we follow the wrong kind of wisdom. Rather than icons which are designed to draw someone in closer, to invite them in closer to God, we build idols which serve to replace God. And oh, so often, the biggest idol, our prize achievement, our greatest ambition, when we strip it all back, layer by layer, reveals itself to be our own ego. Thanks, Marco. James gives us three things to focus on as we reflect on these big issues and we seek to choose God's wisdom in our plans. Firstly, I want to remind us that James was writing to a church community, not just to a group of individuals. It's really important we remember that. So as we reflect, let's be thinking about ourselves, not only as unique followers of Christ, but also about us as the body of Christ. Last week I gave you eight R's. Today we have four P's. 
prioritise God's will and way. Submit to God's sovereign purposes. When you make plans and construct your future, constantly stop and ask, where does God figure in my plans? Is God off limits to some areas of your life? Of your future? How does God's master plan of the gospel factor into your future thinking? What are you building? For what purposes do you build? Whose glory are you seeking? We need to prioritise God's plans as we make our own. Secondly, we need to plan our life with God's perspective in mind. Sorry, P words, the wrong things to put in the microphone, aren't they? Perspective in mind. And James reminds us, and here he's echoing the wisdom literature, which he's so familiar with in the Old Testament, that life is fragile and fleeting. Ultimately, life is not in our control. Each of us is just but a pinprick in the complex contributions of thousands of generations of history. That puts you in perspective, doesn't it? (laughs) Think of yourself as one grain of sand in that sandcastle. (laughs) Each of us is only one of about six billion people alive on earth today. Humility is the appropriate response. But in my insignificance, Jesus reminds me that I am known, I am loved by my Heavenly Father. I am worth Jesus dying for. I am the natural choice for the indwelling of God's Spirit. And I can ask God to form me in the true humility and in the bold hope that only comes from seeing life through God's eyes. I must consider God's perspective when I'm planning. And three and four go together. No matter what happens in life, God's presence and his providence accompany us on the journey. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' final words to us before he ascended to the Father were, I am with you always, even to the end of time. He's with us and he provides for us. Whatever the outcome of our plans, you know, how disastrous they might turn out to be, how great they might turn out to be, we can ask God to help us to celebrate the promise that God's presence and his providence is with us every step of the way. I am so glad our 2020 vision went out the window because what God had in mind was so much better. It was so much better. But it was born of suffering and therefore it's more like Christ. And it speaks of the hope of resurrection so therefore it proclaims Christ.
the best laid plans of mice and men, or women, or children, or even vicars, are indeed frail and fraught and often go awry. But when we approach life in all its ups and downs with a deeper wisdom, a godly wisdom, when we seek God's priorities, when we genuinely seek to see life from God's perspective, beyond our own limited perspective, when we trust, we absolutely trust that God's presence and his providence are eternally and unfailingly with us. We can learn to live out of this new wisdom. We cease to be double-minded. There's an old saying, I don't know if Hubbard said it or not, trust God but tie your camel first. (laughs) God asks us to trust him, even with a camel. Even with the main music camel. We cease to be double-minded and we become what we created to be, God's beloved children, working with him and through him and in him to help to bring in his kingdom and to do his will. And then we can let it all go. We can rejoice. We can take his hand and go home. Next week, we draw this journey with James to a conclusion And we're going to explore the theme, hang in there. So see you. The Lord be with you.